This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Ben Sears at Ben Sears on Letterboxd. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com and more podcasts uh, presented by Obsessive Viewer at um, ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. Um, and if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer, uh, where we have several different uh, like uh, monthly tiers. So at $1 per month, you get access to uh, pretty laid back, casual um, uh, B-roll episode feed that just has us kind of talking about just nonsense stuff at the start of each recording of each episode. Uh, that is our most prolific one. We do that all the time. Um, at the $2 level, you get access to that plus uh, movie or not uh, TV and book reviews and reaction episodes that I do. Um, I'm currently doing episode reviews of um, Foundation and Chapel Wait, and I'm about to start a review series on Invasion on Apple TV+. And I just concluded a very quick um, <laughs> a review series on Midnight Mass on Netflix. So all that's at the $2 level. And then, uh, let's see, and then uh, $5, you get access to movie uh, commentary tracks and reactions. I've got a bunch of commentary tracks up there. I'm, uh, I did a bunch of Halloween uh, commentary tracks, so that's up there. And then also, um, I'm starting to do this Patreon, like Patreon potpourri, where I kind of talk about movies that I've seen in a non-spoiler fashion. So, uh, I just did the last duel, Halloween kills and, um, oh, Dune. Um, so that's up there at the $5 level. And then at $10, you get access to everything that I've said, plus early access to full movie or full, full release, uh, episodes and everything. So, uh, again, all that's at obsessive, uh, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And, uh, yeah, I'm your host, the aforementioned Matt Hurt. And with me today is recurring co-host and contributing, uh, reviewer on obsessiveviewer.com. I had to think for a second. Um, <laughs> it's Ben Sears. How's, how's it going, Ben? Good. Nice. How's it going? Pretty good. I did not update the uh, the list, the the um, notes that I have and everything, so <laughs> I had to dance around that to <laughs> fit it to this episode. But yeah, um, yeah. By the way, thank you to Kim C from the Year of Underrated Stephen King for joining me on a review of Midnight Mass in the last episode. That was so much fun, and I'm so glad that I got a chance to have her on and talk about uh, Midnight Mass, which is an incredible show. Ben, do you? Did you do you do you mess with Midnight Mass at all? Nope. Interesting. Do you have any interest in it? Nope. Interesting. Okay. Because <laughs> I know it, is it that you just don't like horror or uh, or is it that you don't like good shows? Both. Okay. I hate good things. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um. No, I. Uh, it's exactly why you're slumming it here. <laughs> <laughs> it's partially the the horror thing. It's partially mm -hmm. just I have so many more shows that I would rather watch first. Yeah. It's yeah. it's really interesting, and I'm not going to hard sell you on it or anything. I'm just going to say that I know that you have a certain history with religion um, <laughs> to an extent, um, 
And I will say that I was very fascinated by the way that Midnight Mass depicts religion and religious faith and Catholicism. And mm. like, it's, it's really, and it has some of the best acting I've seen this year. Just blanket statement. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Hamish Linklater is in it. And he plays, he plays a young priest that's, uh, that kind of comes to the Crockett Island and, uh, and stuff happens. But there are like sermons that he gives and when he's giving communion to to everyone, it's like I'm like I'm like I have not stepped foot in a church in <laughs> many, many a year. And I've 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 never considered myself to be like a practicing person of any kind of faith in my life. Um, but like you're not wa- spiritual. You're you're not religious. You're spiritual. <laughs> <I'm> spiritual. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Mercury's in retrograde. Um, I don't even know what that means, and I don't mean to offend or anything. But, um, but the the way that it's depicted, the way that the ceremony and uh, just the the way that the ceremony and the the faith of the people in the show is depicted is like endlessly fascinating to me. Um, so yeah, so that's my that's my soft pitch. I think you might get something out of it. Um, hmm. you, yeah, but you know, do do you? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Speaking of soft pitches, oh yes, I have a challenge okay. to the listeners, and okay. I have not brought this up to you on or off mic before. Okay. So I'm I'm gonna bombard you here. Gotcha. Uh, and I wish that the viewers could get the look of just pure terror that's on Matt's face right now. Okay. Um, (laughs) I would say more confusion, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, that too. So I'm looking right now on the Apple Podcasts app. Okay. For the obsessive viewer. Oh, God. uh, I have not looked at this in a very long time, I should say. Well, it seems that nobody else has either. Oh, okay. (laughs) But... Uh, so as of right now, there are 52 ratings for the Obsessive Viewer podcast. Okay. And I think I counted, there's like 40 something reviews. Okay. So. You may notice, just as a, just as a brief tangent, some of those reviews from like 2013 are, uh, one person saying, oh, really great pop culture discussion. And then several other people saying really great pop culture discussion (laughs) because, uh, in my youth, um, I, uh, I engaged in iTunes review swapping with other podcasters, ah. uh, which was a very big mistake and I regret it and everything. <laughs> I, I don't know if the review is still up there, but there's one that's like, oh, I heard about this show on this podcast, which is just that guy's podcast. Uh-huh. Like he's literally plugging his podcast in a review. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, anyway. So, yeah. so challenge to all the listeners out there. If yes. And Matt, I'll give you veto power on this since I guess technically this is your podcast. (laughs) So if we can get, Mm -hmm. I'll say we're at 52 right now. If Mm -hmm. we can get to 200 ratings. Oh, okay. And we'll say. I I feel like you are woefully (laughs) overestimating how many listeners. Just wait until they hear the reward. Okay. 200 ratings. And we'll say 150 reviews. Okay. If we can get to that, we will resurrect the Summer of Sandler. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I I am not huh? going to veto huh? that. Okay. I I am on board. I am 
I am so on board. Okay, yeah. So 200 ratings, 150 reviews, yes. Summer of Sandler, where we will cover... Uh, Everything Christ. since, what, <laughs> Grown Ups 2 or... Uh, yeah, I think... Somewhere oh, around uh, there. Jack and Jill... Which came first, Jack and Jill or Grown Jack Ups and Jill two? was first. Okay. So then Grown Ups 2. Grown Ups 2 might be the last one that we did. Um, wow, that that's a good one. That's a okay. good one. I like that. Or whatever, whatever the last one was. Yeah. Yeah. So just off the top of my head, granted, we will do Uncut Gems, which uh-huh. will be fun to revisit, but also uh, Hubie Halloween and... <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Meyerowitz Stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, New and Selected. Um, um, what else has he been in? Um, the... What's it called? Um the the one all where, of the netflix movies yes oh god yeah <laughs> um his stand-up special which i heard was really good yeah so, yeah yeah i liked it okay yeah there's yeah some, we'll do that there's some interesting content to discuss nice. so people out there you got your assignments get to, yes get to review and yeah. you cannot wink cannot <laughs> uh uh, fund a bot army to right. write a bunch of fake reviews and ratings and stuff because we will definitely be yes. able to tell I will what's real and what's definitely fake. look into Wink. that and everything yes the funny thing is i feel like uh at least one listener um would probably be able to do that <laughs> well um, whoever you yeah. are do not wink do not do yes. that wink. whoever you are don't do that, and thank you for selling me a laptop. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he's really behind on the podcast anyway. So um, anyway, but no, uh, yeah, I, I, even if we don't reach that, I would love it if you guys uh, posted reviews yes. and ratings and stuff. Um, yeah, because as every other podcast says, it really helps us out a lot, <laughs> um, which, I mean, we're a movie and TV podcast in Indianapolis. I mean, it's going to help us incrementally. Um, yeah. Every little bit helps. Absolutely. Um, and on that similar note, by the way, today on the podcast, um, <laughs> uh, we are going to be reviewing uh, The Last Duel and Mass. And then we're going to round out with some potpourri about uh, <laughs> one thing that I saw at Heartland, several things that Ben saw at Heartland, and one thing that I saw that it wasn't related to Heartland. Um, so, yeah. So, look forward to that. But, Ben, I do want to ask you how your Disney series is going on um, on Midwest Film Journal. And uh, I saw that today Tarzan 2 posted. I didn't read it. It sure did. Yeah. That's the one. I remember you saying you had uh, – <laughs> that was going to be an interesting one. So, anyway, Disney. Well, while I talk about that, you can mm. pull it up and you can read it. In okay. Its entirety. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Disney's still going pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of actually surprisingly in a f- relatively strong, uh, relatively upbeat uh, uh, swing. Um, okay. Tarzan two, I actually kind of liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week is Lilo and Stitch two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the week after that is the uh, sequel to The Emperor's New Groove. So, okay. uh, yeah, uh, going on kind of a hot streak at the moment. Hmm, nice. Um, and I forget off the top of my head what last week's was. Um, um, I'm still... <laughs> 
this is very I'm not going to give away what uh, what this is, <laughs> but this is really interesting. <laughs> uh wow, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I will very link insightful, to this in the show yeah. notes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's that's really funny. <laughs> nice. It took me all day to listen oh, to I, to write that. I bet. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. before this week was Mulan too. So, oh, the, okay, that's where the the streak ended. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is something else. But that being said, uh, we are kind of coming to uh, the uh, gigantic cliff, which is the end of the uh, animated uh, films that I'll be covering and the beginning of the live action ones. Interesting. Meaning like all of the Beverly Hills Chihuahua spinoffs and the the Air Bud spinoffs. Oh, God. And whatever that has morphed into. Oh, wow. So uh, it's going to be a dark time in the next few weeks. Oh, yeah. And this... This, uh, I mean, I guess it's Disney Plus, but um, did you see the trailer for Home Sweet Home Alone? No. Okay. Um, we can talk about that, and then we can get into the meat of the episode and everything. But Home Sweet Home Alone is a remake wall of mm-hmm. uh, Home Alone, and the the trailer is very bizarre because <laughs> it is. Like it is incredible. Like it is very much a a remake. Like it is, like they have scenes that are not homages, but just completely lifted from, <laughs> from like the original. Which fine, remake whatever. Yeah. But like they have like one legacy character. <laughs> um, is it Donald Trump? No, no, God no. <laughs> um, <laughs> although he did, I'm not going to get into oh, that. Boy. Yeah, uh, he released a statement today about the passing of Colin Powell. Oh God. Um. Which, I mean, was as crass and just ridiculous as you can imagine. on brand. Yep, yeah. Yep. Uh, did you read it? Uh, I read an article that talked about it. Okay. So, basically, yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> More insight than anything he's ever written. Um, <laughs> but, uh, anyway. So, uh, Home Sweet Home Alone has one legacy character. It's Buzz, at least in the trailer. Uh, mm-hmm. Buzz, who is now a cop and everything, and uh, like it's, I don't know, it's kind of silly because in the trailer it's like, oh, do you need help, kid, or whatever, and it's just a close up shot of his name, his badge, and it says McAllister, and I'm like, okay, but um, but the villains of the movie are, I think it's um, oh god, what's his name, uh, Ellie Kemper and um, the guy, God, why can't I think of his name? It's like right on the tip of my tongue, um. Uh, Rob Delaney. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that at least looks like it'll be kind of fun, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded, but I just think it's kind of a weird, a weird hybrid of, um, I'm getting choked up. Um, (laughs) getting, uh, like a remake and sequel kind of thing. Okay. Yep. It comes out November 12th. So, yeah. So yeah, we'll have to postpone Ebert again to cover that. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so um anything else news related or anything that we can talk about? I don't think so. Okay, cool. Um I just took a took a <laughs> drink. Um so yeah, um All right, well yeah, let's get into the episode then. Um as I said, we're going to be reviewing um 
the last duel in mass um mass i think we'll save for second and we'll start with the last duel which is uh ridley scott's latest movie ben and i both saw it at a screening and uh it came out this past friday in theaters and uh yeah are you ready to discuss the last duel i'm ready okay so uh as usual we're going to do a non-spoiler and spoiler review for the last duel and uh, yeah, I'll prompt you guys for when we go into spoilers and I'll play a clip from the trailer then. But for now, let's go into non-spoilers for The Last Duel. Uh, the Last Duel is rated R. Um, it is the plot summary courtesy of IMDb. Is King Charles VI declares that Knight Jean, uh, Jean de Carouge uh, settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. Uh, the movie was directed by Ridley Scott and written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Nicole uh, Holofcener. Um, yeah, and it stars Matt Damon as Jean de Carouge, um, Adam Driver as Jacques Legree, uh, Jodie Comer as Marguerite de Carouge, um, and uh, yeah, some other people ben too. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, uh, which we'll talk about that. That was <laughs> that was that was a choice. Um, <laughs> And uh, also, um, Black Mirror alum, uh, Alex Lothar, uh, as King Charles VI. Um, so, Ben, um, how do you feel about Ridley Scott as a director? And how did you feel about The Last Duel in kind of broad terms, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, his, I guess, could we say return to, like, medieval combat movies? Period pieces. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, I outside of Gladiator, I don't think I have seen too many of Ridley Scott's like period uh, okay. movies. I did not see the Robin Hood movie. Oh I yeah, did not I forgot see, about that. Did he do one called like Exodus? Um, Gods I don't, and Kings was that him? I don't think. No, that might have been Alex Ross Perry. Maybe, mm. maybe, or maybe I'm thinking of something else. But, um. He did do Kingdom of Heaven, though. Okay. Um, which I have not seen in several years, um, but I remember liking it. Exodus Gods and Kings was directed by Ridley Scott. You're right. Wow. Mm. Jeez. Okay. Huh. Okay. Um. So I. Uh. And yeah, looking at his uh filmography, he is. Mm -hmm. He does a lot of different genres. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll be talking about him in the next few weeks. Yep. You know. Um because he directed Home Sweet Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and really. Ebert's great movies list. Yes. Nominee. <laughs> um but yeah, I I like uh of the ones that I've seen, I I mostly like his movies. Mm -hmm. Um I really love Gladiator. Oh uh, yeah. I need to I haven't rewatched that in a while, but me neither. Um, I love that one, uh, and yeah, he's he's really talented. And I going into this, um, I had little to no expectations. Okay, um, I think I might have watched the trailer once, mm -hmm. but if I did, it was like during a football game that I was half paying attention to. Oh yeah, I know uh, how that goes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I like I I knew that he was directing two movies this year, and I was more mm -hmm. excited for House of Gucci. Oh yeah, and I still am. Um, 
but I was pleasantly surprised by this one. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, me too. I, I really didn't have any expectations for this movie. I knew just vague, vague story ideas. But mm-hmm. I remember at the screening, um, like I overheard someone like someone someone say like, oh, yeah, I heard that it's like three different perspectives and everything. Hmm. And so like that kind of perked my ear, ears up a little bit. And I was like, okay, yeah, that, that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, and so I, I don't believe, I may have seen the trailer once, but I didn't know anything about it really um, until the movie started. And I I was really pretty overall kind of really impressed by it. Um, just in terms of Ridley Scott filming those just big battle sequences. Yeah. Um. I, I loved that, but I also loved that that's not the point of the movie. Um, it's not the focal point. Uh, the structure of the movie and the way it deals with perspective and perception is really, really just really interesting storytelling for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm excited to talk about it, too. <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I knew about this going into it was that it was written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Yeah. It's a first co-writing thing since goodwill hunting correct yeah um and interesting and i knew that uh nicole hoff center was brought in to write the female parts um which i'm sure we'll get into a little bit more um but i I don't know how that comes across that they wrote this script and then brought her in to oh yeah you know lend some authenticity to right um that's interesting yeah huh yeah because i didn't i didn't know that they brought her in like after the fact or anything do you know if like they had written that section of the movie yet or was it like hey we need we need a woman on on Um, scene (laughs) i don't know okay Uh, i'm sure i have heard it uh Mm. said one way or the other but i don't remember Mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah um yeah, I, I found that I, I find that to be pretty interesting. Um in terms of the storytelling, um, like I said, the 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 battle scenes are great, but it's secondary to the overall plot. Mm-hmm. Um what I found really captivating about this, and of course we're in non spoilers, so we won't go into detail, but it is it is specifically set up in three separate parts, three chapters, and the movie begins with the the beginning of the last duel, the duel between Matt Damon and Adam Driver. And then it flashes back. It has a title card for chapter one that says, oh, Matt Damon's characters, the truth according to Matt Damon's character. Mm -hmm. And then chapter two is the truth according to Adam Driver's character. And then the truth, and then the third one is truth according to Matt Damon's wife's character. Mm -hmm. Um, Matt Damon's character's wife. Um, (laughs) Jodie Comer's character. There we go. She has a name. Um, Oh, boy. (laughs) Yes. So, um... (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it's Jodie Comer's character. And uh, like, I find that to be really, really interesting. And the way that it deals with these subtleties and the differences, because those chapters, it's, it's recounting the same stretch of time, but through those characters perspectives. So Matt Damon's character is kind of all about, you know, his pride and ego and his stature mm-hmm. and like what he feels he's owed to through the marriage that he has and everything. And then, um, <laughs> and then Adam Drivers is like the prototype nice guy, um, <laughs> incel guy. <laughs> um, 
And then Jodie Comer's is, you know, the the female perspective of this whole thing. And it all counts recounts the same amount of time. And by the end of it, you have a very clear idea of what like what happened and who is who, who not even necessarily who's telling the truth. It's just you get by the end of it, you get an accurate picture of what happened. And it's just really interesting the way that it plays with those perspectives. And mm-hmm. in each chapter, there are very subtle changes to it, uh, to like certain instances, not like not like the event that that is the catalyst of the story, but like little like greetings between characters are told from are are completely different in different versions of it. Yeah. Which one I found of, really interesting. One of my favorites is uh, there's a, a dinner scene between Matt Damon and Jodie Comer and Matt Damon's mother. Yes. Um, and in his perspective, he is like really sick mm-hmm. and he's like coughing throughout the entire thing. Yeah. And just looks really pathetic. Yep. Um, but he's like, he's like soldiering through it and mm-hmm. he's trying to, you know, be all brave and whatever. Right. And then when it goes to her perspective, he's just fine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He, there's it's nothing wrong with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was really, uh, that I really liked. Yeah. Same here. Um, and it's, uh, there was another, like there's an emphasis on, um, Matt Damon saving Adam Driver's life in in his segment, mm-hmm. and then there is literally nothing of that in in the other segments, and right. it's just it's so interesting the way that each section kind of has its own its own kind of central theme that we'll dig into in spoilers, but it is very much like contingent on the perception of the of the focal character in that yeah. section, and I just found that to be just really really interesting the way that it comes together and i can save that for i'll save that point for spoilers that i was about to make because it's sort of spoilery but it's uh it's a really interesting movie um, yeah in that respect uh very kind of shades of rashomon which you haven't seen rashomon yet have you not yet okay but yeah, yeah. i i have heard that a lot of yeah the comparisons right yeah um yeah yeah i'm just uh, spoiler, I'm thinking ahead to Ebert. Um, <laughs> I kind of figured you would be. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, because I just discreetly checked and Gladiator is not on the list that I nope. could see. Yep. Which is a shame because I definitely need to watch that again. Not that I'm not allowed to, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, so performances. How did you feel about the performances before we go into spoilers and everything? It, I feel like we're kind of brief, but but yeah, how did you feel about it? Um. I think they were pretty good mm-hmm. uh, overall. Jodie Comer, I think, is obviously the MVP. Yeah. Um, she just, she has so many different, uh, different uh, arcs throughout each section. Yeah. And then obviously she has her own and you see just a totally different side to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's fantastic. Yeah. I have not watched Killing Eve, so I don't know if I have oh, really yeah. seen her in too much. I haven't other than either. This. I've heard amazing things about Killing Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, yeah, I, I was really, uh, I loved her performance here. Nice. Yeah, I think that she was definitely the standout. There was a little, I Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, they don't have a lot of screen time together. And it's pretty, like, Ben Affleck is 
like his 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 wardrobe and his makeup and everything looks his hair his hair <laughs> yeah is like very loud and flamboyant and i don't understand like yeah. what the significance of that was but i also kind of felt like a little bit like okay when they have like the one one of their scenes together like their first scene together it feel maybe this is me projecting but it was just like it kind of felt like oh look look these two are together again mm-hmm. on screen um so yeah, I kind of I felt like that was a little bit a little bit much, but but how did you how did you feel about Ben Affleck in general in the movie? I thought he was a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, okay. I he his character is just so <laughs> bombastic and weird. Yeah. Uh, that he just he kind of stands out amongst mm-hmm. the rest of them because um, everyone else is just so self serious and yeah. he's just like he doesn't give a shit mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah, that's true. I yeah, I, I think that I think that rewatching it, I might key into his performance a little bit more. But every time he was on screen, I was just like, "This is, this is like a caricature." And maybe that's the <laughs> point. Maybe that's supposed to be the, what the case was and everything. But also, it just kind of feels like this is just a little bit too much, just <laughs> a tiny bit too much. Sure, he um, is. Yeah. Uh, I will say, he is the one character that is consistent throughout each of their <laughs> stories. That's true. He is the same person. That's true. So I don't yeah. know what that says about him. <laughs> right. Very true. Very true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Matt Damon and Adam Driver. How did you feel about their performances? Um, I don't know if I would say that this is, you know, the best Adam Driver performance mm-hmm. or near the best. Yeah. But he wasn't bad. Nice. I mean, he was fine. Nice. Um, I was listening to, um, uh, what is it? The <laughs> Next Best Picture podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, next best picture podcast. Is and that they were the one where they do this. one week is a movie that's kind of similar to a new release, and the next week is the new release? Uh, not exactly. Okay. Uh, they they do all kinds of shit. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, Don't listen to them. Listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> but they were saying, uh, Matt Damon doesn't totally feel like someone who fits in in a period piece like a medieval kind of movie you know hmm. and to some extent i agree with that mm-hmm. i mean i i think it was fine in yeah this. nothing you know not his best mm-hmm. um but i i don't know i i can kind of see that and my kind of rationalization is that I think that that kind of works in the movie's favor a little bit because mm. he is this prideful, like warrior bravado kind of person in his perspective. And then we obviously get a different perspective when we have other characters kind of viewing him and everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that that might work. Like I said, I don't know if I necessarily agree. I can kind of see, I can kind of see the point that they're making. Um, but I think that kind of I think that, that may kind of work in, in the favor of kind of skewing the perspectives um hmm. in, in the latter parts of the movie. Or maybe I'm making excuses for it. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think that someone else should have played him? Um him or ooh. and or Matt uh Ben uh, Affleck? Oh yeah. Um like I don't know why they felt the need to Right. <laughs> be in this movie yeah you know yeah that's true um ben affleck i'm not sure uh off the top of my head i'm not i'm not sure but i mean yeah you know i'm sure that as soon as we finish recording i'll think of someone (laughs) that would be perfect for the matt damon role in this but i'm thinking like it would have to be someone that can play that 
play both sides of it, which Matt Damon does pretty respectively, mm-hmm. like respectfully, but like having having that kind of bravado, like I said, and then also playing the kind of not sheep not sheepish, but like kind of a kind of kind of a someone who isn't taken as seriously as he thinks he yeah. thinks he is. Like a low status kind of guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I think that if you could find someone that can kind of balance that uh through the movie, I think that would be really interesting. But I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, granted, I, I think he was fine. I don't have any problems with his performance. Um I just like you know, certain certain actors they just have faces that kind of fit into this time period yeah. better than others, you know. True. And Adam Driver, I think, is one of those. Yeah. Um but I, agree. I, I don't I just wanted to get your perspective. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry that I disappointed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that I don't think Matt Damon or Adam Driver or Ben Affleck or anyone in the film, like, I don't think that they drag it down. I'll say that. Right. Um, it could maybe be better, but I think that what we got was pretty solid and uh, enjoyable for me. And uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, how did you feel about the action, which isn't that much in it or anything, but like there are kind of big kind of battle scenes that are like more skirmishes than anything. Yeah. But how'd you feel about the way that that was shown in relation to Ridley Scott's past work and namely Gladiator? Yeah. Uh, really well done. The, uh, the titular duel was mm-hmm. just brutal. Yes. Like, just really rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you liked the gladiator scenes in Gladiator, mm-hmm. you'll you'll know what you're in for in this. Yeah. Um, and not having seen the trailer, I was not and same. I was not prepared for that. Yeah. Um, same here. So it it was it, it's it's a, a tough watch. Yeah. Don't it's uh, in, it's intense. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really it's intense. Yeah. Um, and it's not like glamorous or glorified or anything to an extent. No. Um, it's, it's brutal. It's very brutal. Um, yeah. Do you want to go into spoilers for the last duel? Any parting thoughts for the last duel? Um, (sighs) (laughs) how'd you feel about the, uh, the kid that played the king? Uh, I, uh, (laughs) Alex Lothar. Um, I, I mean, I am a fan of his from his one episode of black mirror. Yeah. Um, did you see that by mm-hmm. chance? Okay. So he plays a teenager who, um, in an episode he is, uh, he, someone hacks his computer and takes a video of him masturbating to porn. And so they coerce him into like, it's like this whole cabal that like coerces people that they have their indiscretions on file, um, coerce them to, do horrific acts like the, he coerces they coerce him and uh the guy who played Braun in game of thrones mm-hmm. um to team up to rob a bank um and it's like it's intense there's an there's an amazing like twist to it and everything um it's called uh shut up and dance um from season three but anyway uh the whole movie i was like where do i know him from hmm. <laughs> and uh and then it clicked with me when i was recording my patreon review for it and like i was like oh yeah and i think he did a fine job like he played <laughs> that bratty child king really yeah. well um and i think that that's honestly i kind of think that that's a little hard to come by because instinctively people would probably compare it to joffrey in game of thrones 
Um, but I think mm. he did well. How did how did you? What did you think? Uh, yeah, I I thought he was uh, really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this, it, it's just kind of funny how you know I don't know how old uh, Matt Damon or Ben Affleck are, but oh yeah, to see them, you know, uh, just bowing down and to <laughs> yeah. uh, groveling at this little teenage punk mm-hmm. uh it's it's just kind of funny absolutely um and it just kind of goes to show like how how screwed up the patriarchy is yes. it's all just these weird guys and uh this is a very female-centric movie mm-hmm. believe it or not and just how uh how terrible men are which yeah 100 tracks i totally and like i i have been kind of fearful to read the read reviews and everything partly because i wanted to get my review out there and everything which i didn't end up writing a review but this this suffices um (laughs) but i'm very curious to see how people react to it um in particular i'm very curious what people who i have blocked on twitter would think of it (laughs) um uh because it it seems like it it is a very much a type of movie where certain people would just be like the people who didn't see the 2016 ghostbusters Mm -hmm. uh they would probably have a problem with this movie (laughs) um yeah which i they're children um it's it's (laughs) dumb um yeah not to completely uh disregard an entire uh viewpoint but also to completely disregard an entire viewpoint. Yeah, when your viewpoint um, is garbage. Exactly. Exactly. And not based on, you know, it's just, I could go on rants and I have <laughs> gone on rants and everything. <laughs> but yeah, just, oh God. Anyway, uh, The Last Duel in theaters now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, do you want to go into spoilers for The Last Duel? Sure. All right. I'm going to play a clip from the trailer. And then when we come back, we're going to be spoiling The Last Duel. If you want to skip this section, check the show notes for timestamps to jump ahead to our review of Mass. Uh, But yeah, so here is a clip from the trailer for The Last Duel. I say before all of you, I spoke the truth. A most unspeakable charge has been brought against you. Shock Legree entered our home. He attacked me. The accusation is false. I am telling the truth. The truth does not matter. There is only the power of men. This should be settled quietly. All right, so spoilers on for The Last Duel. Um, Ben, how do you feel about going chapter by chapter and kind of talking about each specific perspective? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the first chapter is Matt Damon's, and that is kind of all about his bravado, his pride. He's kind of depicted as this warrior knight who... uh, Kind of go, he goes rogue a little bit and <laughs> saves lives and everything. It's very, very brash and very kind of heightened. Um, how did you feel about his whole section and everything? Uh, I think it was smart to uh, start with it, to mm-hmm. open the film with it. Um, and you also, in addition to the characterizations that you gave, you also get the perspective that he's been like wronged out of. 
a yeah. bunch of things like the land debate mm-hmm. and you get the impression that he is uh sticking up for jody comer because mm-hmm. he loves her and because it's yeah. the right thing to do like that kind of counsel he has at the end of the of his section mm-hmm. yeah and the way that that is flipped around later is is really really interesting to yeah. me yeah um yeah, and I I also agree. I think that it's very smart to open it with that because that is playing into tropes of the genre and tropes of like these types of movies. And so in doing that, like it's setting the stage for like okay, yeah, and um this is what we're expecting from it. And the thing I found really interesting was that um this like the only the only um how to phrase it the the only kind of experience not experience but the only kind of knowledge we have of the rape is secondhand by Jodie Comer's character to right. Matt Damon yeah and i found that to be so interesting because i mean i i don't know how this is going to make me sound but the movie isn't presented as a mystery it's not it's not presented as like, oh, what really happened? It's mm-hmm. more like these are the perspectives of people who have experienced or have knowledge of what happened. But throughout the movie, at least after that first segment, I was like, I was wondering, like, is she covering up an affair? Like, is that what it's doing? And that's yeah. kind of by design because Adam Driver's section is very romantic in a weird, twisted, messed up way. Yeah. And so, like, I found that to be really interesting, just my experience, because I went through the movie thinking, like, I wonder if there's going to be, like, some kind of some kind of secret at, at play here or something. And that's going to recontextualize who we think should win the duel and everything. And, like, I feel like that is a trap that was set for people like me and <laughs> uh, to kind of have this expectation and then just have that flipped on its ear to have this pretty straightforward, honest kind of a kind of story um with what happened and everything uh so i just found that to be really really interesting and i don't mean to jump ahead to other sections but uh but it all starts with matt damon's section so yeah um how did you feel about that whole thing uh yeah um it uh i think i was also kind of set up to think that Mm -hmm. uh something else was going on you know Mm -hmm. that we weren't seeing um something like her having an affair or yeah. her like plotting to kill him or something right is um, is that reflective of poorly on us or <laughs> is it manipulative of the film or is it just a a benchmark of the patriarchal society that we live in and that everyone lives in um could be all of the above okay. could be uh like our expectations with the genre and the mm-hmm the kind of uh medieval uh intrigue uh kind of game of thrones ish mm-hmm. uh setting yeah that's true yeah mm-hmm. i think it is kind of a cultural thing with pop culture with this type of story also is a factor um yeah so uh yeah any other thoughts on matt damon <laughs> we're kind of breezing through that no um okay uh, let's see. There was, I thought there was something else in Matt Damon's, uh, section, but I can't remember. But, um, yeah, just again, that the way that it kind of, the way that it's completely 
switched around by by the time we get to Jodie Comer's section where it's like his response to her is like right. atrocious and horrifying. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. We'll get to that. But Adam Driver, that section was so interesting to me. And it, 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 it also kind of seems like it is maybe the weakest written section for me hmm. um, in that it kind of seems a little bit in theory, it should seem like it's a little bit hard to swallow that he would kind of just have this completely baseless um, feeling of of like mutual attraction with her. And I don't know if it's necessarily supposed to be that he ha- that he feels like there. Well, yeah, that there he does. He's he has convinced himself that there's a mutual attraction. Yeah, and that is just really really interesting to me. How do you feel about? Adam Driver's section. Um, yeah, I think this is kind of where the those little subtle differences mm-hmm. uh, are really effective. Um, yeah. Especially, there's a scene where um, where the three of them meet at like a party or something mm-hmm. uh, in a courtyard. Yes, um, and uh, the two of them kind of they had an argument and they start to make up and yeah. then there's a a part where from his perspective Matt Damon and Jodie Comer are dancing and she's smiling at him mm-hmm. uh but actually before that even when they are like introducing each other yes. and she kisses him and it kind of lingers mm-hmm. um and then kind of jumping ahead from her perspective Mm -hmm. it's just this quick little thing yeah but for him it lasts so much longer and has so much more meaning yeah um and then when they're dancing and she keeps looking at him and smiling Mm -hmm. and then we learn later that she's just kind of like her and matt damon are literally just talking about like what a dumbass (laughs) what a what a douchebag this guy is yep um so oh yeah yeah that that was where the that's really where you start to notice like that this this is how this movie is gonna go Mm -hmm. and this is where you should start to pick up on these little things yeah and in addition to that when they're introduced in the courtyard when when matt damon and adam driver kind of make amends Mm -hmm. i found that to be really interesting because in matt damon's version he had i don't remember the exact line but it's something like it's something like super like like diplomatic and like big and performative mm-hmm. like oh we've now broken bread and and you know i met damon um or whatever but then adam driver i think if i remember correctly adam driver says that line in his section and mm-hmm. then in jody comer's they're like the completely a completely different person says it. <laughs> and i just found that to be just so interesting because that is also playing into the ego of these men and uh the kind of the the way that you know their perception of what happened and their perception of their encounters always kind of fall back on like their, their soul experience with it. Yeah. And there's such an, such an emptiness or lack of compassion or in some cases like Matt Damon's, there's like this faux compassion or this, um, this kind of like thing where it's performative compassion in his perspective. And then Adam driver has just completely blocked out 
any knowledge of what he did in mm-hmm. terms of it being like he has he has convinced himself that it was a mutual thing yeah even though it is 100% not mutual in in his perspective or Jody Comer's right um and just i found that to be i found that to be kind of terrifying and uh really really delicately written in in a kind of really messed up way in yeah. in the way it kind of portrays that uh cognitive dissonance and uh lack of accountability or acceptability of what what someone has done Uh, yeah yeah. and um to kind of go along with that Mm -hmm. um you get a lot more scenes uh where it's just adam driver like with ben affleck say yeah um and he is very uh i mean nobody else we don't get either any of these scenes in anybody else's perspective so we Mm -hmm. don't know if it's the truth or not yeah but he comes across as more willing to like help out matt damon or Mm -hmm. be more sympathetic towards him like yeah he tries to get his debts called off or Mm -hmm. he tries to say that something isn't like as big of a deal right um, you know um so you heard it, you heard it here from Ben. Adam Driver's character is good dude. Good dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um no, I uh No, I get what you're saying. I'm like I'm I'm obviously joking. <laughs> well, and and also like those scenes with with him and uh Ben Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Um they set up the the rape scene that's later you know he when he's in the bedroom with those i don't know prostitutes Mm -hmm. or whatever concubines sure yeah um and he he does like the exact same thing that he does with jody comer he does this kind of playful you know don't don't come after me right Uh, and he picks picks her up over her shoulder and stuff yeah and and you see that mirrored very much so later with him and Jody Comer. That's right. And, yeah. And then it's, of course, it's mm-hmm. totally different when she has it. But. Yeah. And just like the subtle things like her removing her shoes. Yes. And just like those little bits and pieces that in his mind are invitational. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's ah, it's and it's disturbing. What 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 is probably even more disturbing is that like even when they do have sex, mm-hmm. she's still not totally going along with it. She's right. still saying like no, no, in no. his perspective. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's you know not as forceful. It's not right. as uh, uh, rapey, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so and so it, it's not. It still doesn't make him look like a good dude. Right. Um, it doesn't... I would argue that it doesn't even really give him that kind of plausible deniability that I think that his perspective is supposed to give or or uh, would give in, in, a, in a less nuanced story. But in having that scene with him, with Ben Affleck and, and, the, and the women, having that set up this playful, like thing like like you said i we don't know how true that is we don't know how much 
that woman in that scene was resisting in in truth Mm -hmm. or if that was a true depiction of it. But it has this sense of entitlement for Adam Driver's character that he believes on one hand that there is a that there is a connection that he has with with Marguerite. Mm -hmm. And in having that connection, he is due to have like uh, an encounter with her regardless of her say, which is really messed up and disturbing and sadly it's still a thing it's something that yep yeah it's it's really messed up and then so having her say no and and having her repeat no and everything in his perspective is makes it makes it so much more cold and chilling because we're seeing his perspective of what's happened but we're also we're also seeing that his perspective isn't this like romanticized thing entirely it's this it is this very uh negative thing that's happened that he has convinced himself is not as negative as as it could even though through the fact that it's his perspective he has that perspective that we saw mm-hmm. and so that just makes it just very cold and disturbing and just oh uh, rough yes yeah yep um yeah and then jody comer um, <laughs> her section yeah um i really really like like you said i really i, I think you said this um i really like that they save that for last mm-hmm. and i think that that is obviously calculated and i love that they preface that with the truth according to marguerite yeah or the act like what actually happened and like you just see the way that her stature in this in this kind of hierarchy and everything is uh suboptimal um <laughs> yes and uh yeah how did you it's, feel about that it's uh, i think they even say like this rape matter mm-hmm. isn't what, what was the phrasing that they use it's not a uh he has his a, whole life ahead of him um oh boy. yeah he uh <laughs> boys will be boys yeah. um yeah uh you're so, gonna ruin his life. <laughs> Fucking God. Uh he's yeah. gotta be elected to the Supreme Court. Right, right. <laughs> um uh, look at his calendars. Yeah. Um Jesus. Um suspended so, from Twitter. <laughs> they they say uh it it was like one of the clergy or someone on the court or someone mm-hmm. says to Matt Damon, like it's not a it's not a marital issue it's a property issue oh, i'm paraphrasing yeah. that something like that that's which right feels very accurate unfortunately yes, yes. Um, but and and kind of to go along with that and i don't remember exactly this but they they talked about this in the other podcasts that i listened to mm-hmm. um but they say like the the scene where Matt Damon and Jodie Comer meet and are introduced. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of pseudo romantic kind of thing where they have this chemistry together. Yeah, and Matt Damon or Matt Damon okay. and uh, and uh, Jodie Comer. Comer. Okay, yes. yeah. Um, and in her perspective, they either they like don't talk at all or they barely talk. Yep. Um. So that that's just another. Uh, really great detail. Yeah, and and such a there's such a big emphasis paid on the dowry that he's yeah. due for that, and yep. it's just that. Oh, and yeah. yeah, the 
when when it's her perspective again um mm-hmm. he he comes across as like he only cares he's so vengeful about mm-hmm. this dowry that he doesn't get yeah um and he doesn't give a shit about her right like there there's this extended kind of sequence where she goes out to this town and buys this dress mm-hmm. so that he will like it and i don't know to impress him to Mm -hmm. to when he's like coming home from battle or whatever yeah and he just like gives this look to her when he sees it because like it's showing too much skin or something right um and yeah uh he it, it gets to the point where like by the time the duel actually happens mm-hmm like you're not rooting for either one of them to I, right? win. Yeah. I mean you kind of are rooting mm-hmm. for Matt Damon because yeah. if he loses, then yeah. she's gonna be killed. Right. But <laughs> that, that that's it. Yeah. You know? That just <laughs> that just reminds me of the uh the tagline for uh Alien versus Predator. <laughs> Whoever wins, we lose. Uh-huh. <laughs> um but yeah, and they, they do set that up pretty pretty obviously heavily. That's a big mm. point of it. And that's even really fascinating in that it's he doesn't under like he doesn't even care or anything that oh she'll die if he dies Mm -hmm. and it's part his bravado part his pride and everything and yeah so i mean i was kind of rooting for him but also uh you know i'd i'd be okay if you know (laughs) um (laughs) they both you know killed each other sure um the death of adam driver's character oh god oh speaking of brutal. brutal yeah Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. And what I love about it is the brutality isn't isn't uh gratuitous or isn't a cheerful. It's not like a big it's not like a big gladiator moment. It's right. not a yeah, yeah. are you not entertained moment. It's because you know that like the the kind of persp- I mean, I'm glad he died. <laughs> but also it's like the only re- like the only triumph for Matt Damon's character is his stature, his pride, his ego, it has nothing to do with Jodie Comer's character. And I just, I found that to be really interesting in in terms of the writing and, and the way that it presented it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else in spoilers? Um, I guess I probably could have mentioned this in non-spoilers, mm. yeah. but this made me want to read the book that it's based on. Yeah. I didn't do any research or anything. Like, I'm curious like what the true story is because it's based on a true story in a book. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah. kind of curious. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, I think that's our review of The Last Duel. Um, <laughs> uh, check it out in theaters and everything. I also have a, a brief review of it on Patreon at the $5 level. And uh, and then next up now, we're going to talk about Mass. Are you still good to talk about Mass? Let's talk about mass. All right. Awesome. Um, Yeah. Do you need a break or anything? Nope. Okay. All right. So mass. We want to know how this happened. We need your help with that. I'm willing to help. When you talk about blame on your part, I want to know what you're referring to. It's very hard to answer. Well, please try. It's not just one thing. Tell me about your son. What would you like to know? Everything. I want to know everything. Why? Why do I want to know about your son? Because he killed mine. It's not our fault, Richard. All right. So Mass, let me bring it up here, is the IFJA 
winner of the uh um award that <laughs> I should have <laughs> I should know um uh okay so uh IFJ the the group that Ben and I are both members of the Indiana Film Journalists Association we uh we chose Mass as the best special presentation award at the the IFJ award for best special presentation at 2021's Heartland Film Festival um so yeah so Mass is written and directed by uh Fran Kranz who was in uh, the cabin, uh, cabin in the woods and, uh, dark tower. Um, <laughs> and it stars Jason Isaacs, Martha Plimpton, uh, Ann Dowd and Reed, uh, Bernie. Yes. Okay. Reed Bernie. And, uh, the plot summary courtesy of IMDb is aftermath of a violent tragedy that affects the lives of two couples in different ways. Oh, okay. Well, that was very vague. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I, this movie had been on my radar, um, because I like Fran Kranz as a, as an actor. Like, I think he does a good job in the things that I've seen him in, um, that aren't adapted by, adapted from Stephen King properties. Um, but he, like, he, he has a certain kind of charisma. So knowing that he had a, you know, a movie that he wrote and directed about the aftermath of a school shooting and characters, like families on, two families kind of reckoning with that had me very interested. And, uh, to my knowledge, this was, this had had a big, big, uh, presence at Sundance, um, earlier this year. And, um, yeah, so, uh, it was showing at Heartland and I was very excited about it and I watched it and I liked it. Um, <laughs> Ben, uh, what, how did you feel about mass? What were your expectations and everything? Um, yeah, I had heard good things out of Sundance. Mm -hmm. I had there's uh one or two people that I follow on Letterboxd who mm -hmm. uh I feel like I regularly see their like their updated 2021 lists. Yeah. And Mass is like at or near the top yep. of those. So I was pretty conscious of it from that, but not much otherwise. Sure. Um I knew the cast. Uh, I did not. I still have not seen the trailer. Me um, I don't think I even really knew what the what it was about. Interesting. Um, so, and I was interested. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like near the top of my list for Heartland when it was announced mm -hmm. that, that it would be showing here, but I uh saw that uh the ifj said that like, we would be able to get a screener for it so i mm -hmm. was able to get it and i watched it and uh was blown away yes um i i don't believe that i knew of fran kranz as a director as an actor okay so um so you didn't see the dark tower no okay <laughs> um yeah uh, he's really good he was also in uh, he was in a movie that I actually saw at Heartland a few years ago. I think it was the, um, uh, oh, oh yeah. He was also in the village in training day. Um, but he was in, um, the truth about lies, which I thought was okay, hmm. but he did a good job. It's kind of, kind of a little bit of a comedy about a guy who kind of lies his way into, um, I think a relationship with a woman, which is icky and everything, <laughs> but uh he it it's it's kind of farcical but um 
he did well in it. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. But yeah, this this just blew me away on just almost every level. Yeah. Uh, there's just so much to love about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, I'm really glad that I was able to see it. It's, uh, as of right now, it is. It's it's definitely in my top ten mm-hmm. uh, for the end of the year, but I don't know exactly where it'll be. Gotcha. Just yet. Yeah, um, I'm going to echo those sentiments as well. Um, <laughs> it's this movie definitely like it, it is. It is one of those experiences where I like I'm so absorbed in it, mm-hmm. and it is. This is going to sound so hacky, but it is it is a powerhouse in terms of performances. Mm-hmm. Um, there, like there were multiple times, like multiple times where I kind of stopped and I was like, "And Dowd, man, yep." <laughs> I mean, just amazing. Like all four of the central characters are like the actors are really good, but like And Dowd just gives this 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 really really kind of troubled below the surface, but pleasant but reserved Mm -hmm. and and hurt um and with this misguided kind of hurt as well um and and guilt and it it is just such a layered performance and like the other actors in it are also doing so much heavy lifting in terms of presence and yeah their their performances that it is like (laughs) throughout the movie i was like Obviously, this is an actor writing and directing this movie because this is this is like this is an actor actor movie. <laughs> this is an actor's showcase. Absolutely. Right. Um yeah, and you would not think that a two hour movie that almost exclusively takes place in one room. Yeah. Uh with no music, mm-hmm. no like flashbacks, no cutaways. Right. Um uh with with such a dark subject matter yeah you would not think that a movie like that would be so incredible right but it 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 finds a way yeah oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah it's it's something that's just it felt like a very special window into mm-hmm. just this completely raw and just Un, like unbelievably and profoundly tragic um and natural grief and pain with these characters and it's just it is it is so so hard to watch at times but also just mm-hmm. so in, engaging and oh it's 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 a rough one <laughs> yeah it's a little it's a little and, bit draining and yet it's not super duper dark yeah. you know there there are some lighter moments mm-hmm. there are some just really beautiful uh just the dialogue is just so incredible absolutely and uh fran kranz just has such a he he feels it feels like he knows these characters yes. almost personally mm-hmm. like it, it feels like such a realistic conversation yes that you could absolutely see happening in real life absolutely there aren't any like leaps in in character motivations mm-hmm. or uh or emotions yeah it, it all just unfolds really naturally absolutely natural that's the perfect word for it because it is it is such a natural script the the, the dialogue is so authentic 
and the way that it just counts it the the way that it divul- divulges the information to us mm-hmm. is just so like you feel like a fly on the wall like mm-hmm. there it, it goes a long stretch where they don't even necessarily say what happened yes it's just communicated through through subtext and through like visual like cues that in the body language and everything and what I love about it is it also doesn't – once it's kind of I, – I, I hesitate to say once it's revealed because it's not really a mystery or anything by any yeah. stretch. But once the – once it's kind of like revealed – It's out in the open. Yeah. once it's There you go. Once it's out in the open, uh, we then get it, – it continues to have that naturalistic subtext-fueled feel to the dialogue in that we have like a brief like reference to Jason Isaacs um, – his character's activism and everything. Mm-hmm. And we have Martha Plimpton's kind of just, just wanting to know, like, like wanting to know specifics about the upbringing yeah. and everything. And it's just, it is just so, it is, it is, it is incredibly well-written um, in terms of dialogue and just telling us the story through mm-hmm. body language and, uh, and subtext. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's amazing. Plus, you go into it. I guess maybe you don't know this at the beginning because, like we said, you don't know exactly what it's about right until a little bit later. But once once you meet these people, you kind of uh, you get these kind of preconceived notions about like who they are and um what what kind of arc they will go through yeah. like martha you know the mother of a child who is who was murdered mm-hmm. you kind of expect her to be this kind of fiery yeah. um uh not really willing to uh mend bridges right. uh that kind of character and then jason isaacs uh his character you just kind of feel like he's just kind of like kind of like a peacemaker almost yeah um you know like he he feels like he's willing to hear out the other side and then he seems like he's kind of seeking a certain catharsis that maybe is not attainable but he's at least putting uh, putting a certain amount of effort toward that. Right. Yes. Um, even if it's minimal effort. But then he, his kind of journey throughout this almost gets to be the angriest. Mm-hmm. Like he gets, I would say he gets angrier than Martha Plimpton in it in some scenes. Yeah. You know? Um, and then, yeah. And Dowd, uh, she, you just kind of get this just from her presence mm-hmm. because it's Anne Dowd, but she kind of comes across as this kind of nurturing, I guess, uh, kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, and, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying Anne Dowd. Um, are you talking about Anne Dowd or Martha yeah. Plimpton? Okay. Anne Dowd. Anne Dowd. Okay, I was totally paying attention. Um, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I get nurturing is kind yeah. of that. Um, Gentle, I guess. Yeah. Kind of, you know, her her whole demeanor. Yeah. Um, and then Reed Bernie, 
he's interesting mm-hmm. uh his character um because he he feels like he's very like no nonsense kind of yeah. give them answers and mm-hmm. try to get out of here yeah uh which is interesting in its own right yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and it's something that kind of speaks to or kind of tells wow this was filmed in 14 days um kind of tells this own story about the kind of nature of their relationship and how i mean how it's been affected by this you know horrible tragedy and everything and i and there's references to kind of like the I don't want to say like media circus or anything, but the the backlash, the mm-hmm. the response to it, and there's the some lawsuits, yeah, mm-hmm. and there's like this profound idea that we'll talk about a little bit in spoilers, but just like how they say, like they don't they don't have like vigils for the the shooter, mm-hmm. um, right? And so like that, it, it's just a perspective that I I wasn't prepared to be kind of confronted with, um, yeah. and it's. It's just, it is, it's a powerful kind of sentiment. Like, yes, this family was irrevocably changed as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's as freaking commonplace as these tragedies are and everything, you don't really, it seems like the media doesn't really pay attention, obviously, to the other side of it, the family of the other side. Yes. Um, and so, yeah. And when you do hear about the, the parents of these kids, Mm -hmm. you get this, you know, kind of knee jerk, uh, picture portrait Mm -hmm. of who these parents are and you don't really give them a second thought. So I, I really love, uh, how, uh, Fran Kranz just makes them just as, three-dimensional as the other side you know yeah, he absolutely. he doesn't make them villains he doesn't make right. he doesn't try to make them victims as well i guess he right. does to some extent yeah but, but he not, makes he makes all of them really three-dimensional yes and everything so yeah yeah mm-hmm. um do you want to talk about spoilers because i don't know is there anything really to spoil not really. Okay. I don't. I don't think there is. Okay. Well, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer, and then. <laughs> well, well uh, yeah. be, before we do that, mm-hmm. um, do you have uh, who was your favorite performance? Okay. I thought you were going to go a different route. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got to say, Ann Dowd. Honestly, I, I love Jason Isaacs though, mm-hmm. and Martha Plimpton did like an, an incredible job of like that seething anger and just just with like steeped in confusion and just mm-hmm. wanting to know and and wanting wanting to hold her kind of perspective is that she wants to hold and Dowd and uh, and the father um accountable for what happened to her son and what comes out in the course of the movie is this understanding of like what like what everyone's been through in this in this tragedy um and it's it's just it's it's really uh really remarkable storytelling. Uh Reed Bernie, he's he was good too. But yes. um but yeah, I would say I mean Ann Dowd and Jason Isaacs both were my preferred or my my favorite performances of the movie. How about mm-hmm. you? Um my first reaction would probably be Jason Isaacs. Mm-hmm. But 
ask me on a different day and it will probably be a different answer. Yeah. Uh, Everyone here is just so incredible. Yeah. Um, I heard someone talking about this and um, they brought up a good point that Reed Bernie feels like his character feels like he goes through the least, uh, the smallest change throughout the movie, Mm -hmm. which I can definitely see. Um, And I think that's interesting as well. Yeah. um, Because he still gives uh, an incredible performance and he feels like a real person and a Mm -hmm. real character, but he just doesn't, he, it feels like he's done all of his, grieving and all of his uh uh he has dealt with all of this yeah his processing of it yes internally before the movie even begins yeah yeah oh yeah yeah that's interesting um okay well yeah uh mass is is amazing yes (laughs) i don't think we're gonna do a spoiler section but um but yeah i we we in our organization, the, the the organization that we're part of, the IFJ, we picked it as a uh, the IFJ award at Heartland, and uh, with uh, with good reason, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah uh, I saw. I didn't get to see um, one or two of the others that could have possibly yeah. uh, contended with this, but this was pretty close to a no brainer. Nice. Um, nice. The one other thing mm-hmm. uh, that I wanted to get your perspective on, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think this is a spoiler, okay? Uh, but it's like right at the end of the movie mm-hmm. when they are about to leave and the choir starts singing at the church. Yeah, I maybe this is a little bit of a nitpick, and mm-hmm. I'll I'll, uh, I'll uh, say that it doesn't. It does not ruin the movie for me okay, uh, or the ending uh, mm-hmm. at all for me. But I wanted to get your perspective on that moment. Was it a little heavy handed for you or? I don't think so. I, I think that it worked for me um, because it felt it, it felt kind of a, like a not embrace of youthful energy or anything, but it just seemed like. Um, it it was a big, I think in contrast to the rest of the movie, really not having any music or mm-hmm. any score aside from the piano playing. I think that bringing that, bringing that out, the choir singing and everything, uh, definitely creates in it this sense of maybe not closure, but the sense of moving forward or the sense of processing the grief that they're experiencing like Mm -hmm. working beginning the process of working through their grief and being able to see the other side of things or being able to see other people's grief as similar to their own and everything and not holding on to that guilt or that uh that blame or anything okay um so yeah i think it i think it worked (laughs) okay yeah how did you feel about it um yeah, I I think it was a little heavy-handed for me okay. at first. Maybe if I revisit it it'll change. Sure. Um but like I said, it do- it doesn't ruin the movie. Uh mm-hmm. it doesn't um I just thought it was a little a little much. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um all right, well yeah, that's our review of Mass and uh and yeah, we're going to kind of close out the episode with Potpourri. Um uh 
I have a couple of things, and Ben, I'm. I think the plan is for you to kind of run through some stuff you saw at Heartland. Okay. Um, I will start with one thing that I saw at Heartland. Um, the French Dispatch. Yes. So, uh, I okay, yeah. So I'll I'll get us kicked off, and then you do yours, and I'll round us out with my Halloween kills thoughts. So the French Dispatch. I saw it at a screening at uh, at Heartland. Um, this was a big deal for Heartland. It was the first time they ever, they ever had a Wes Anderson movie. It's a high profile movie. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a big movie. And, uh, and yeah, we, we had talked about doing a Wes Anderson ret- retrospective, but then like everything, um, <laughs> it fell <laughs> apart. But I, I like Wes Anderson for the most part. Like I really liked, uh, I liked, um, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, I liked The Life Aquatic the one time I saw it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and The Grand Budapest Hotel I liked quite a bit. Yes. The thing with The French Dispatch is that it is very much a Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. It is his standard diorama, just very quirky heightened dialogue and and just silly visuals and everything it is it is very similar in tone to the stuff that he's been working on lately and everything uh aside from mile of dogs because that was kind of unique in and of right. itself but i'm thinking like grand budapest hotel and uh moonrise kingdom but the problem that i have with it and the thing that really keeps it from it kept it from really speaking to me was that a it is it is an amalgam or uh, it is it is just very similar to Wes Anderson's kind of shtick. Mm-hmm. And that gets very tiring, <laughs> um, very tiring, very quickly. And I think because I think that that is because he does this. It, the whole story is about is about the French dispatch, a newspaper that um, that the the it's revealed at the beginning. The editor has passed away. And so the story is structured to where they are telling three stories that like three defining stories of that, that made it into the French dispatch throughout its history, which is interesting that I love as someone who uh, has an affinity for writing and has an affinity for journalism and everything. I found that to be pretty interesting in theory. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What we get is these sectioned off vignettes of these unrelated stories and then the the problem that i have with it is it doesn't connect it does not connect in a meaningful way they try to do he tries to do something at the end to make it connect and i i appreciate what he was going for but it was just not enough for me to really uh find any good in it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i will say that in terms of the visual techniques that he employs and everything, it looks really cool. There are some very interesting shots and the framing of them is, is really cool and interesting. But for the most part, I just did not like Moonrise or uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Um, uh, the French Dispatch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you did not get a chance to see it. Correct. Yeah. Are you still looking forward to it? <laughs> I think so. Nice. I'll check it out. Nice. Um, I forget if you had said this or if mm-hmm. someone else uh, did, but they said that it's the most Wes Anderson. Yeah, I didn't say it, but I 
wholeheartedly endorse that sentiment. Okay. Um, <laughs> it is, it is, it is. So, okay. I, I've said this before, but I don't really like to, uh, I don't really like to give that much credit to the show family guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. because it's, it's background noise for me, really. But they did an episode a couple of seasons ago where the whole like premise of it was it was uh, like three directors or something. So they had one story that they had one like one. It was like an anthology format. They had one section of the episode be that story from like uh, from the perspective of like a Michael Bay movie and then one with a uh, Quentin Tarantino kind of aesthetic and everything. And then one with Wes Anderson uh-huh. and like having that semi fresh in my mind, like really exposed just like the, the very, very, uh, I don't know, quirky for the sake of quirky nature of Wes Anderson. Yeah. So I don't know, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that is a, it, in the French dispatch, it's almost a parody of itself because it doesn't have enough of the heart to it um yeah yeah uh i was talking with evan mm-hmm. uh uh after he had seen it and yeah he oh said, he hated it <laughs> yeah he said it was like the uh his least emotional film or there's there's no emotion to it or something yep. yeah I'm paraphrasing but oh yeah 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 okay yep so so that's my first potpourri <laughs> now uh where did that one screen that was at the toby which i oh okay yes which i saw on your instagram uh that was your when you went to a screening at the toby that was your first time there yes okay how did you feel about the toby the toby for our listeners is the theater one of the theaters that is in uh new fields uh which is like the indianapolis museum of art mm-hmm. but rebranded um the toby is a just a beautiful beautiful theater um, I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey there in 2013. And it was well, like one of the first things I hmm. wrote on the website was like, oh, I saw I saw Stanley Kubrick. I'm I'm 20 I'm in my mid 20s and I saw a Stanley Kubrick movie, <laughs> so I know what I'm talking about. Um Nice. Yeah. But yeah. Uh yeah, it's a really nice theater. Um uh, nice. I kind of uh wish that I uh I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit mm-hmm. uh in a minute but i wish that i was like sitting closer to the screen because it would oh it's, yeah there's from what i could tell there's not a bad seat in the house no, i totally agree totally mm-hmm. agree um i yeah it is it is one of my favorite places to see a movie in in in, in indianapolis yeah um it's just it is so there's a warmth to it that i just i love it i love it so much and especially yes. since I see a lot of like film festival stuff there and there's like that warmth baked into that experience mm-hmm. itself. So nice. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's the French dispatch. Uh, do you want to kind of rapid fire or just talk about some of the stuff that you saw at, uh, Heartland? Sure. So, um, yeah. So the, the, the movie that I saw at the Toby mm-hmm. was, uh, King Richard, um, which is, the new Will Smith movie uh, right. directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green, uh, where Will Smith plays uh, Richard Williams, who is the father of Venus and Serena Williams. Um, and it just talks, it's a, a biopic about uh, his, uh, how he uh, 
brought up Venus and Serena mm-hmm. and uh, trained them and coached them and how they came to be who they are. And I, w- I won't talk a whole lot about it because I'm sure we'll uh, we'll do a review of it when it comes out in November. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say I, I liked it more than I anticipated. Okay. It's kind of messy, but mm-hmm. um, it's 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 a crowd pleaser okay um yeah it won like the audience award i think yes yeah and i will say this now if i had money to put on anything right now Mm -hmm. it would be will smith for best actor really you think this will be the one yes wow he is very good nice i so when i saw the trailer for it like all i thought was Will Smith really wants that Oscar. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah, uh, so that's good that he does well in it. Um, <laughs> from a cynical perspective, that mm. is a, a big reason why he is doing this movie. I'm yeah. sure. Um, my and this is a tangent. I'm sorry, but my whole thing with him is that I think, I think he's too much of a movie star. Mm-hmm. So like, anytime he does something that is like accent heavy or something that's not his like brand i guess yeah just feels so unnatural to me um yeah and it's kind of funny because not knowing a whole lot outside of this about Mm -hmm. richard williams he feels very much like a muhammad ali type oh which is kind of funny because will smith played him (laughs) Uh, and almost won an Oscar, uh, by playing him. Um, but it's, he's this very like bombastic, outspoken, uh, kind of just a magnetic kind of guy. Um, and Will Smith, he's, he's in pretty much every scene in the movie and he is, he's very good. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it more but just i i say that about him winning just based on like if you were in that room oh yeah you would totally understand why like try go and see this opening night at a packed Mm -hmm. theater and you will see why he is a a shoe-in for best actor interesting he is it's a very funny role and i wonder Mm -hmm. how much of his lines were like ad-libbed because you'll feel kind of uh he has these all all these like little asides very mm. muhammad ali-esque yeah um and it it almost feels like they were improvised but i don't know for sure okay. but anyway uh, <laughs> the the crowd just just ate it all up nice. it was it was pretty insane okay um, i uh i just was so dumb like i just picture him just like looking at venus and be like hey venus welcome to earth <laughs> um that's dumb anyway continue <laughs> um the other one that I saw in the theater was mm. the new Jane Campion movie, The Power of the Dog. Yes. Which is coming to Netflix, I think, either in November. Uh, I'm pretty sure November. If not November, then sometime in December. Okay. Um, Jane Campion directed The Piano, mm. uh, In the Cut, a couple other things that I haven't seen. Um, most Most well-known for The Piano. Um, which is getting a criterion release. Yes. Um, so this one is, uh, kind of a pseudo Western, Mm -hmm. uh, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, 
Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, and Cody Smith McPhee. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, I thought it was very interesting because uh, okay. kind of similar to Cry Macho, it kind mm. of plays with these Western tropes of like, of these like cowboy guys who put up this act to everyone mm-hmm. else. But it's not just Benedict Cumberbatch is the the lead character, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's not just him that's putting up this act. Like the way that the thing that I was most impressed with is that every single one of these characters is either lying to themselves or to everyone else around them. And I thought that was very interesting huh. in the ways that they do that. Mm-hmm. So um maybe Maybe I'll save my full thoughts for a uh, full review okay. later down the line when it comes out yeah. when you have a chance to see it. Nice, but I was it, it's I was very impressed. Uh, I liked it uh, quite a bit, and nice. uh, it it is beautiful. Like, oh yeah, try to see this in the theater if you can. Like, nice. Uh, <laughs> I think that they they try to pass it off as Montana, but it's. Uh, I think Jane Campion is either from New Zealand or Australia I, or yeah, but it, it looks very much like it's, it's beautiful scenery. Nice. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, she's well, okay. Um, <laughs> she was born in Wellington, New Zealand and now lives in Sydney. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, the, the, the scenery there is just incredible. Nice. Uh, it's, does not look very much like Montana or the mm. Montana that I have seen. Sure. Um, so uh, huh. very impressed with it. Very excited for everyone to see it. I would recommend nice. it. Uh, saw it at the can- new uh, Can oh, Camp. Oh yeah. Theater. How how was that? I didn't make it, <laughs> but I won't. I won't bother with that. But uh, yeah, what did you think of the Can Can? It's really cool. Nice. Uh, nice. First time being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's. Uh, it's just kind of it's funny it's kind of just nestled in between this just really like residential area yeah just yeah. this neighborhood um and it's it's really nice i didn't get a chance to explore the the space too much but mm-hmm. from what i could see it looks really nice the nice. the seats you know obviously aren't they don't like recline and all that but, right uh it's it's uh there's no bad seats nice so that's um, awesome. Support your local theaters. Yeah, and I'm super glad that they opened that yes. that, they, that they were able to open because they were set to open right before the pandemic hit and theaters shut uh-huh. down. Um, yeah, so that's great. And uh, the Power of the Dog comes out December first. Okay. Yeah. What is that? Is that in, on Netflix or in theaters? That I think it's is a great question that I personally. <laughs> do not have the answer to because i know like there we're kind of getting into this season now where mm-hmm. ne- the the netflix movies are coming out in theaters for a week or two before oh, they yeah. get netflix huh yeah i don't know um i might have something here uh, it looks like december 1st will be netflix okay yeah yep um the other one that i saw uh i mean i saw a couple others but Mm -hmm. uh i wrote reviews for those for the most part which i'll link to all of them in the show notes of this episode but one of the ones that i saw uh which i really really loved is Mm. uh the new celine siama movie oh yes petite maman Mm -hmm. um 
plot description, courtesy of Letterboxd. Uh, eight-year-old Nellie has just lost her beloved grandmother and is helping her parents clean out her mother's childhood home. She explores the house and the surrounding woods where her mom, Marion, used to play and where she built the treehouse Nellie has heard so much about. One day, her mother suddenly leaves. That is when Nellie meets a girl of her own age in the woods building a treehouse. So, uh, I was... Uh, very uh, excited for this one because we are on the record as loving Celine Siama's Portrait of a Lady yes. on Fire. Oh, yes. So I was very uh, excited and very curious for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it technically counts as a Heartland viewing because I... Yeah. <laughs> it was only screening in theaters. It, w- it wasn't screening virtually for mm-hmm. Heartland, but I was able to get a... Uh, rental screener from uh, the Chicago Film Festival mm-hmm. virtually. Um, <laughs> so I watched it that way. So I'm counting it nice. as both. Yeah. Um, but I I loved this one. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect because I didn't know anything about the plot going into it. Right. Um, but I, I think it's really smart and really well done. Uh, nice. It's it, tells a story about grief that I don't know if I have ever seen in this way before. Like it's, it's about this child's perspective of grief and how kids view how kids not only process grief themselves, but how they view their parents processing grief and how they can help their parents process that grief. And the way that she does it is just so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, smartly done that I was just blown away by it. Um, I hesitate nice. to talk any more about the plot because mm-hmm. I feel like uh, I I don't want to give away how she does it. Okay, yeah. but it's it's so well done. It's it's in my top ten at the moment. Um, That's awesome. And the more that I think about it, the higher it's gonna go. Nice. <laughs> um, what's so, the what's it called again? Petite Maman. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I loved Portrait of a Lady on Fire, mm-hmm. so I'm very curious to see what she has done next. <laughs> yes. It's nice. uh, it's a neon release. Mm-hmm. I don't know if a uh, release date has been set yet, mm. but it's playing at a bunch of festivals right now. If you can nice. find a way to screen it virtually, I, I would highly recommend it. Nice. Yeah, I will be on the lookout for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Nice. <laughs> uh any other dispatches from Heartland or do you want me to round us out? Um I will talk about Alien on Stage when we oh. do our Ebert episode. Nice. Um Yeah, no, the I guess I watched one called Escape from from Pretoria mm-hmm. because I saw that uh it had Daniel Radcliffe in it. Okay. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's uh he plays this South African guy in the uh seventies or eighties, late uh nineteen seventy eight, who uh, you know, obviously it's South Africa, uh it's during apartheid. Right. And he is this guy who does not support apartheid, so he uh he goes to jail and pretty much all of it is how he is trying to escape from jail. 
Oh, okay. And hmm. I don't know. It's well done. Um, there's some really tense scenes, um, but not much more than that. Okay. I mean, it's, it's fine. I'm glad I watched it, but um, yeah. Nice. It was good. Awesome. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I will link to all of your reviews and everything on in the show notes of this episode. Um, do you mind if I round us out with a quick potpourri for uh, something I saw recently? Sure. Okay. So to round us out, um, I had the privilege of watching um, Halloween Kills. Um, <laughs> there is going to be a commentary track on the $5 Patreon level at some point in the near future. But just to give kind of an overview, um, I enjoyed Halloween Kills quite a bit. It does some things that... I feel like there's like one full subplot that could have just been completely taken out and replaced with something a little bit better, um, especially for the Judy Greer character. But overall, what you go into Halloween Kills for is the kills (laughs) and the violence is just insane, crazy stuff. Like there are there are certain kills that I had just like this disturbed glee on my face (laughs) and like there because there's some that are just so off the wall that i just i could not stop myself from just laughing um in in the in the moment uh which was a lot of fun a lot of fun um a lot of kind of entertaining qualities to that one thing that i really liked was um that I I have such a weird relationship with the idea of Michael Myers like setting up these tableaus and everything and like mm-hmm. having like like in the in the original Halloween he takes a takes a headstone and puts it in a bedroom uh, with the dead body kind of laid across the bed and I'm just like okay that's just weird <laughs> <laughs> um but we actually see in Halloween Kills like we see him kind of in the process of making one <laughs> And it's it's weird, but it's also really interesting. Um, and so I don't know. I just I, I liked it. And the uh, it sets the stage for next year's Halloween ends in a unique way and uh, makes me excited. I liked it. Yeah. So that's Halloween Kills. It's in theaters and on Peacock. And the commentary will soon be on the Patreon for five dollar and above patrons. So, yeah. Um that's all I've got. Um, <laughs> uh, ben, any parting thoughts or should we call it an evening? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, get those ratings in there, people. Apple yes, Podcasts. Yes, yes. Ratings I love this and idea. reviews. Yes, preferably five stars um, <laughs> and uh, preferably nice reviews. Uh, but yeah, just go that on. Go to that on Apple Podcasts and, uh, you know, do that. Um, and then we will resurrect Summer of Sandler. We'll resurrect Summer of Sandler when we hit 200 ratings and 150 reviews. You got it. Yes. Oh, well, geez. I'm going to I'm gonna make one of those like grade school tote board kind of things <laughs> with the thermometer. Nice. Uh... I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Uh, next time, we're going to be talking about Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Uh, which is coming out uh, this week. And we will be talking about that next week. Um, If you are um, too antsy to get to that, uh, read my review of Dune, which is on the website now. And I have a blurb or a small 
review in a Patreon potpourri section on the $5 level of Patreon. So, uh, yeah, having said all that, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. It's fine. It was it was <laughs> it was really heavy handed the way that the first episode, the second that she sees his image, she's like, oh, cute. It's like, OK, you're laying it on a little bit thick. Like, let's let's introduce them and let's have them have chemistry on screen before you lay the groundwork of them having a romantic relationship. And even with the time jump between the first episode and the second episode, it still just feels like a little bit sloppy in the writing that it's like, okay, suddenly we have to play catch up with these two characters having having a relationship and everything when they could have laid the groundwork a little bit better than rather than just demonstrate to us through very uh, straightforward dialogue that she finds him attractive like that. I just feel like there could have been a lot more there in that first episode and then extending into the second episode. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Feckus and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
kitty. 